Green, Genty, right side to the corner, untouched. Second touchdown of the game for Ashton Genty. Second three-yard touchdown run. 14th touchdown of the season, and it's 13-0 Boise State. And it's a handoff to Genty, and Genty's going to go into the end zone, and it is a hat trick. Three touchdowns for Ashton Genty. That one being the longest, coming from seven yards out. Colorado State looking for their first win ever against Boise State. One final shot. Fowler Nicolosi chucking it into the end zone. Everybody is there. Is it caught? Is it caught? Colorado State! Dallin Holker makes the catch! It's a miracle in Fort Collins! Well, it was probably the most shocking defeat in the 13 years that I have covered this Boise State football program. Up 30-10 to 10 with just over six minutes to go. Boise State leaves Fort Collins for the first time in program history with an L, falling by a Hail Mary at the buzzer. 31 to 30. This is Jay Sports Bar. I am Jay Tuss. Shane Williams Rhodes obviously joining me once again. And um, Shane, how heartbreaking was it to see the way that game played played out? Again, I, I want to reiterate Boise State up 20, six minutes to go against a team they had never lost to before, and they walk away as a one point loser from that contest. Well, last week on the show, I said I didn't want to have a game where, you know, we had to come back again from 28 to 3. Yep. But I guess I should also say <laughs> I don't want to be the, on the other end of it and mm-hmm. be the team that, you know, gets the comeback made on them. I jokingly said during the game when Boise State got up 17 nothing, or at least I thought it was a joke, that 17 nothing is apparently the most dangerous lead in sports right now, or as at least as it pertains to Boise State football, because I remind you, Three weeks ago, they were up 17 to nothing against Memphis, and they lost that game 35-32. Last week on the blue, San Jose State was up 17 nothing against Boise State, and Boise State rallied back to win 35-27. And last week in Fort Collins, Boise State up 17 to nothing, and they lose 31 to 30. This is the type of loss, Shane, that makes you look big picture. So often after wins or defeats, we sit here and we kind of analyze just what happened. But I think when you look at the fact that a team that has been known as one of the winningest programs in college football for the last 20-plus years drops to three and four for the second time in three years, it really makes you look at big-picture things and make you, makes you ask the question, what's going on here and is it fixable? So, Shane, what's going on here and is this fixable? It's a lot. It's you know, it's not just one single thing. And I feel like every week there's something different. Mm-hmm. You know that we're just trying to figure out: can we get it fixed? You know, after the second half of the San Jose game and the first half of the Colorado State game, I'm thinking to myself: we freaking figured it out on defense. You know, we figured out how to get off the field. And then obviously on offense, we the best way to figure out the two quarterback system is to be able to run the ball mm-hmm. with the best player on your team. And so we were able to do that, which kind of you know alleviated having to deal with the quarterback situation. But guess what? When it's time to throw the ball, because the other team's coming back from 31 to 10, and we can't, that's when the problems come in. It sucks, in all honesty, because as you said, it, it seemed like this defense had turned the corner. Mm-hmm. They pitched the second-half shutout against San Jose State. They start off the Colorado State game with a first-half shutout. They block a field goal attempt at the end of it, just kind of put an exclamation point on it, like, no, you're not going to score on us. And then even most of the the second half was, for this defense's standards, pretty darn good. I mean, if you combine the second half of San Jose State along with a majority of the Colorado State game, Boise State goes 85 minutes and 59 seconds Mm -hmm. with only giving up 10 points. Yep. And somehow in the last 401, Colorado State scores 21 points to get a walk-off win. And like I said, right when you thought they turned the corner, that defense, you know, they, they took, a two, took a U-turn, sped down the street, and took a left and ran right back into yeah. the fire, apparently, because that's just, that's just what happened. They, they couldn't get the stops. It was, it was UCF all over again. It was Memphis all over again. In this case, it was almost worse because they were up by 20 and they only needed one stop. Yep. And they couldn't get it. And they just couldn't get it. 
Yeah, and you can just tell the inexperience we have and, you know, the FBI and knowing where you are in the field. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously there's penalties that came up big in this game at the end. It's fourth and goal. You know, just it's tough. It's just really tough. Yeah. We talked about it last week, having, you know, older guys that you can learn from from at the quarterback position. Well, we're kind of seeing the same thing with the D in the DB room because last year obviously we had some dudes that can play defensive back. but. Mm -hmm. You know, who's that older guy now that is the one that's going to lead by example and show yeah. younger guys how to do it? It's making young guys grow up in a hurry. Uh, Marco Notriani, we're going to hear from him in a little bit. Probably one, one of the most heartfelt post-game press conferences I've seen during my time at Boise State. Uh, we're going to hear from Andy Avalos in a little bit here. He held a bi-week press conference. Um, that is typically something that doesn't happen. I, looking back, Shane, I don't know if it's ever happened in my time here. I appreciate that because there's a lot of questions that we want to answer to right now, and Andy Avalos did uh, address at least a number of them today. I don't know if the answers were always what everybody wanted to hear, but the fact that he was willing to do it is something I greatly appreciated. Ashton Genty makes his third uh, midseason All-American team today. Um, We're going to get into his impact on the team. But I do think we have to begin, as we look at big-picture stuff, with the leader of this program, and that's Andy Avalos. This is a guy that played here. He coached here both as an assistant coach, as a defensive coordinator, and now as a head coach. I know this this program means as much to him as it does to anybody out there. I mean, he is he has experienced literally every level of this thing, right? Yeah. And he's he's coming up short right now. And I don't even really think that that's. I mean, I think that a lot of people would agree, agree with that. For the again, for the second time in three years, his team is three and four. We can mention the fact that according to Boise State's game notes, they are the fourth youngest teams in terms of the personnel they have played in the country this season. So they they are young, and they're trying to learn in a hurry. But that also goes back to recruiting and trying to find ways to complement your youth with, with transfer portal guys. And as we've said on the program in the past here, they have whiffed out of the transfer portal largely this season. Very, very few impact players that they've added out of the transfer portal. And you look at guys that they've added in the past, George Tarlis, Probably their best defensive lineman outside of Scott Matlock last year. Um, Maybe their best defensive player outside of Scott Matlock last year. I mean, George was putting together a season before he went down with an injury. Mm -hmm. Caleb Biggers, transfer portal portal guy. He was their best cornerback last year. Um, And then you even had just older guys sprinkled in. Tyree Jones, sixth-year guy. Ezekiel Noah, sixth-year guy. Mm -hmm. DJ Schramm, fifth-year guy. They just had a lot of experience back there. Now you look around at this defense and you're like, Man, even when they pulled out a, a cornerback this last week, Jalen Neal, um, he is not a lot of people knew him. And even people in the press box, I'm not going to name names. I'm going to go, oh man, J- Jalen Neal's going into the game. People go, who's Jalen Neal? He is a really fiery little dude. I, sometimes I feel like he's tough on himself. I've seen him in practice, um, love his fight, but that's just a big stage that injuries forced him into that game. And so they they are young, but at the same time, like, the program is is Andy Avalos's responsibility, right? Yep. So right. so so how do you look at that, Shane? It's tough, and I know obviously evaluating talent out of the portal can be hard because mm-hmm. typically those kids you see come out of the portal don't have a lot of film because if they were guys that had a ton of film, they probably didn't leave. You mm-hmm. know, so it's really easy to I feel like to miss on those guys because at this point you're basically just taking a chance because. Does he I mean, practice hard? Does yeah. he, you know what I mean? You like know, things yeah. like that. What, what are the bad habits? Is, does he have, you know, is he not like a OKG? Is he like, what are the things? Because you don't get to go through the process that you do with the high school kids. And, you know, as far as getting to know them and going through that process and building relationships, it's just, hey, I'm in the portal. You can come get me or someone else is. And mm-hmm. you just got to take this, take the chance. In some cases, oh, you were a four star out of high school and. Hell, Wisconsin wanted you at some point, so there's got to be something, some type of meat left on the Mm -hmm. bone there, you know, and turns out boneless. (laughs) I mean, there's been tons of guys that came from the portal and have been great. I mean, look at Demarcus Lawrence. Yeah. Transfer. Well, they they've hit on guys. Like I said, even as as recently as last year, I mean they they had some transfer portal dudes that made a big time impact on a defense that we can easily forget was one of the best pass defenses in the country um, statistically over the over the course of the last you know what was it nine ten games last year and even the full season they ranked pretty good. Right now that pass defense has given up 2,130 2, yards. Um, I believe that's about 250 less than they allowed all of last season over a 14-game season. And as it ranks right now, it is 131st 
out of 133 teams in the FBS. I don't, I don't, I mean, really, we talk about the Jimmys and the Joes and the X's and the O's, and a lot of people point to the Jimmys and the Joes at times because they make the X's and the O's. And I, I guess that maybe that's where this thing's a little deficient. Now, I, it's again up to the coaches to get these, these are young guys. It's up to them to get them up to speed and understanding and knowing so they can play fast and free on game day and mistake free. But that hasn't been the case this year, Shane. Yeah, I just, I'm just curious. You might not know this, but do you know who the other two teams are that are below us? They're not good. I can tell you. I, I well, looked at them initially. They don't have winning records. Let's just tell you that. And that's what I was. That's what I'm alluding to. It's like if you can't stop the pass, mm-hmm. and people know you can't stop the pass, then it's going to be a long year. Mm-hmm. Like, I think. No way. I'm pretty sure one of them is Colorado. Well, we obviously know they can't stop the pass. Yeah, they can't stop the pass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean. There's no way. I mean, especially with the teams we have coming up. I mean, the only good thing I can say about this is we have to play Air Force. But, you know, I've been in a game where Air Force threw for 300 yards against us. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, it's not, it's not saying they're not going to throw the ball. Right. Because why not, you know, exploit that? I don't even know if I'm ready to have the Air Force talk because you, we look at the re- remaining schedule for this, this football team, and there is Air Force, Fresno State, and Wyoming. Wyoming is – coming up after the bye and you don't even have the benefit of, of coming off a bye where they're coming off of a game both Wyoming and Boise State have a bye this week so they will both roll into that game relatively fresh um, on uh, October 28th here on the blue but you look at this Shane and man like it really might be an uphill battle not even might it will be an uphill battle to get to bowl eligibility for this team they are three and four with five games to go, that means that they are going to have to beat one of those teams that I just mentioned, Wyoming, Fresno State, or Air Force. And that doesn't even include the fact that a trip to Logan still looms to you know right before Thanksgiving. And Utah State blew out Colorado State by 20, the same lead that Boise State yeah. blew against Colorado State. Uh, they shut down Colorado State's quarterback. Zero touchdowns, three interceptions. And Boise State did a pretty good job against that same QB for most of the game, but then that guy got hot and and ultimately led the uh, led the Rams to one of the best victories they have probably had in in twenty years at at Colorado State. Shane, yeah, I know it comes down to matchups though, and that's where it doesn't look great for us because, like you said, those teams like to throw the ball. All these yeah. teams we're about to play outside of Air Force like to throw the ball, and I don't know. Based off of the, you know the way we were playing on defense, outside of of course you know the last two games or so, we don't do the best job of doing our job. So the Air Force game will be a tough you know matchup for us also, even in the run game because we right. kept harping on that for the last few weeks is we're struggling on just doing our job and not doing too much. So the Air Force is going to create that challenge, and then obviously you have the other teams who can kind of throw at will. Fresno is scary in there. Yep. Maybe the best uh, news that came out of um, the Wednesday press conference with Andy Avalos today was that he mentioned DJ Schramm is back at practice and George Halani is close to returning. And I think for weeks now we have kind of been speculating that it was probably the kind of the timeline for these guys. After the buy, they buy them that extra time to get healthy and then they're available for the stretch run of the season. Uh, so you return – the guy that you thought was going to be the heartbeat, the cornerstone, whatever you want to call it, of your defense, he will be back, and that's gonna, I mean that that won't be a bad thing. That that can't do anything but help this team. So that is good that DJ Schram is is on the mend and will be back soon. And the same goes for a guy like George Halani. Those are two key pieces that I think they thought were going to be a massive part of whether it be offense or defense this year, and, and they get him back. And I think that it, when George is available, they really plan on using Ashton Genty very differently, and now he has became the workhorse back. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they complement those guys. They had a lot of um, a lot of plays set up where they would have both those guys on the field at the same time. At least that's what we saw in the preseason. I think the question now is, like, where do you, where do you go from here, Shane? I, I'm, I'm trying to think back. I mean, I do think you were on the team in 15 – and there were a couple. There were back-to-back losses in that season. One in New Mexico, the other to Air Force. Mm-hmm. What is it like coming, or, or what is it like going into a bye week coming off of a loss? It's not good because the way things work in that building is even after a loss, just on a regular loss, 
practice is a little bit more intense. Mm -hmm. Things, attention to detail is really, really focused on because you're losing from little things, right? Especially a game like what we just came off of, you know, just being able to recover an onside kick and simple things like that. Or, you know, the guys just being in the right spot on a Hail Mary and those kind of things. Like, we, you practice all those things in, in, in throughout the week. You know, we have right. those scenarios. And so, for these guys, it's just – it's probably a rough – it's going to be rough for the whole ne – the next two weeks, this week and next. And I know that the coaches will be a little bit more anal than they usually are. And <laughs> the guys are probably more locked in than they usually are because they're tired of losing. And it's just – it's not – it's not a pretty sight around there. So is it a good time or a bad time for a bye week? How, how, do you, how would you view uh, this? I think it's a good time because now you can go through those things that you continuously keep messing up on. Uh, you also get the extra time to prep for Wyoming, which mm -hmm. we need at this point. Like, And you're going to see a lot of probably – I wouldn't be surprised if you see some new faces actually start and things like that because I think where we are, it's like, hey, we're going to go with the guys who are going to do their job. If you're a starter – your positions on the line this week. We got two weeks. Whoever has the best practices these next two weeks will start. Mm -hmm. it's, that's where we're at, I think. And I also think that I don't think we're at, I don't think we're out of the woods yet. I think I think there's a possibility we could go in and win four of these games, but we just never know what team's going to show up. You know, we I, could be as good as Fresno, but then we can come out the next game and be as bad as San Jose. So. I, I think we've seen how drastically the pendulum can swing at times too, Shane, because, again, we're, we're two weeks removed from a game that they trailed 27-7, to let alone 17-7, against San Jose State, and they come back with, you know, an, an unbelievable first half or second half with 28 unanswered points to walk out of Boise State or walk out of Albertson Stadium with a victory. And then this last week, for 56 minutes, it was going incredibly well. And, and in four minutes and one second, the, the needle throttles all the way over to the other side, and, mm -hmm. and it's just bad football. And <clears throat> that, really, that means that they're now sitting at three and four and, and in some serious we've, – we've talked about must-win games in the past. Now, these are – they are now in must-win mode. But, so. you, but you're kind of right. Like, in, in Andy's first year, they were off to a two and three start. Kind of unexpected, not great. And then they go on the road and they beat a 10th-ranked BYU team that gave them their mm -hmm. highest-ranked true road victory um, in quite some time here at Boise State. And then later that year, they're big-time underdogs at Fresno, and they blow them out 41-14. Yep. Uh, so this isn't, this isn't a, a – last year, they get off to a, a rough start, and they lose to UTEP, which, again, one of the worst losses in program history. Mm -hmm. And then they go eight and four the rest of the way, and the guy that was in, was everybody was questioning wins coach of the year. Uh, so there, I, I guess like I said this after the game, the, this team is losing the benefit of the doubt. So often we show up, and it's like I don't know whether it's my head or my heart talking. Probably more my head because I've seen so much of this over the last thirteen years. They're, it's Boise State; they're going to figure out a way to win this game. Yep. They usually have premier talent over everyone else in the conference. But they're losing that benefit of the doubt. And, and maybe that, again, head, heart, I don't know. But they're losing the benefit of the doubt. And that's what I feel. But then you bring up talking points like that and you're like, man, I don't know. Maybe they get it right and maybe they go on a run. But maybe the fact that DJ Shram and George Helani are near returns are really going to help. But I, I just I, – I, I can't not go into at least the Wyoming game very, very skeptical. I got to see it to believe it, I think, Shane. For sure. And, yeah, it's just tough because you see – the way we played against San Jose, and you're like, okay, I can see what our ceiling mm -hmm. can be and what it is. And then you can even look back at the Colorado State game. We literally ran the ball at will. Mm -hmm. And usually if you run the ball at will, you win the game. And obviously 31 to 10 shows you being able to run the ball, you can do whatever you, you, need, whatever you want. Yep. But I think we just got caught in this situation where our offense was not on the field. Yeah. And so we could and we couldn't get them on the field because we can't you know, we're not executing on special teams. So guess what? Defense back on the field, mm -hmm. don't stop again, you know? And then now we're in a spot where there's a minute 20 left and now you just are trying to run the clock out versus, you know, you don't have the option to throw the ball because you don't want to stop the clock. Mm -hmm. So now it's hey, we can engage eight this thing. You know, all you guys that play Madden out there, just sitting in the house, yep. right? So it, it puts you in a really, really tough spot. But outside of that, if we could just – if our offense is on the field, we're fine. We scored – I mean, uh, Gentry scores that last touchdown, and then we don't see them on the field for a while. It is the little things. It is the little things that matter. 
when you're in your four-minute or six-minute offense or whatever, you can't have a holding penalty. Because now all of a sudden you're so far behind the chains that you just get in very uncomfortable situations where now all of a sudden, do we throw the ball or do we just surrender this series of downs by just trying to get a little bit of time off the clock? And, and Boise State chose the, uh, we don't really know what's going on at quarterback completely, so we're, we're just going to run the ball and surrender this down. And, and hopefully, by the grace of God, they don't go 90 yards in, in a couple of, in 35 seconds and have a walk-off win and, well, what happened? So many things we can question and point to and... I hate always validating everything on social media, but when it comes up, some of it we can address. You know, late in that game, uh, especially on the play to Tory Tory Horton that allowed them to set up the hail mary, uh, they they blitzed Rodney Robinson from the safety position, and there's a lot that that goes into a you know. I think everybody focuses on the guy that's blitzing, but it's how you also pick up other guys coming out of the you know off the line of scrimmage yeah. that really make that that play. And how they kind of picked up guys coming off the line of scrimmage didn't – it wasn't what they needed. And so everybody wants to say, why were they blitzing Rodney Robinson late? Well, I, I think I can have the answer to that too. Uh, Colorado State's quarterback was sacked on his second drop back of the game. He proceeded to drop back 55 times after that, and he was sacked once. So what, what are you going to do? Just not yeah. bring pressure, send four that can't get there, and just mm -hmm. let them – pick you apart to death. Spencer Danison, who's ever calling play, they're trying something to get to him and make him feel uncomfortable. It doesn't work out there, but again, it's not necessarily the the blitzer that was the problem. It's it's how everybody else kind of handled it that yeah. Tory Horton gets open, they make a perfect throw, and the best wide receiver in the Mountain West makes an epic play to set up another epic play the very next play. Yeah, it's it's all the game within the game. I mean, you can't I mean, it's the definition of insanity. You can't, you know, continue to do the same thing mm -hmm. over and over and expect a different result. So I get it. I totally understand why he's in the pressure. I mean, it's a tough spot to be in mm -hmm. when you can't, you know, get any pressure and your pass rushers are not getting the job done. How do you defend that Hail Mary better, Shane? Because we go back and we look at it, and again, I think that Hail Marys are, are often viewed as lucky, and they, they absolutely are, but there is clearly a way to defend them. And I don't, whether it be the, the West Virginia-Houston game earlier in the week, I don't know if you saw that on Friday night where they had a Hail Mary that hit, or just in general, it feels like now no longer do you put like, I mean, you, sure, you put your tallest guys on the field, but no longer is the goal for those guys to out-jump everybody and make a catch. It's to tip it to the trailer, and you create that little bit of chaos. And in, it happened twice last week, like I said, in games I can remember, whether it be Houston or, or the Boise State-Colorado State game that the trailer comes in and he is able to catch the tip in the ball. And I, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but in that case, the moment the ball is tipped, if you can't bat it down, then Boise State just tackles every potential guy that could catch the ball for Colorado State because no longer is pass interference an issue. So if you see the trailer coming in and the ball is tipped, tackle his ass. <laughs> yeah, so literally – like I said, that's exactly what I mean by in practice, you practice these things. So just like our offense practices, all right, you three are going and you're trying to get the ball. Well, like me, I was on the field for those things, but my job was to be the front guy and catch it because I'm low to the ground. So if it gets tipped, I can get to the ground Slide and there. get there. So as a defense, you also practice, all right, you guys have this this job, and then also someone has to be on the guy that's trying to catch the ball. Like, and there's there was a guy there. Yeah, but you they, know what? they absolutely had a guy on on the on number five for Colorado State, the tight end. He's there, but what you, we gotta we gotta realize is you can't get caught looking at the ball, right? Yeah, if you're looking at the ball, not the person. Once that ball gets tipped, it happens so fast. Like that ball is coming did. down already, so it's just getting ricocheted into a different direction. Mm -hmm. So you don't have time to look at the ball, look at your man, and then react. You have to be in position, and the best way to do that is to be in between the ball and, and the, the guy. Man. That's it. So, yep. you know, if he gets tipped, and most of the time it's going to get tipped down, not tipped up. And if he gets tipped up, it's for those guys who are jumping mm -hmm. to get it. So everybody just has to do their job, and it's just the same thing we keep running into is guys are just, we're right there, but we're not doing what we're supposed it to do. It is the little things. Mm -hmm. Boise State had a – I'm not kidding you, folks. Boise State had a 99.9% .9 chance of winning that game, not with one minute to go, not with two minutes to go, with over four minutes to go in the game, they had a 99.9% .9 chance of winning that game, leaving a 0.1% chance of possibility that Colorado State could come back. And when you don't do the little things like that, the immaculate can happen. And it did against Boise State. Yeah. And 
I am by no means saying that the coaching staff is is you know gets off free here. I'm not saying that at all. But it, there, ha- I mean, there is some player accountability there. Like yeah. it, it has to happen on the for the players' parts too. Like in order to close out that game, it's I think it's perfectly reasonable for the guys to be able to execute in that scenario. A 33 yard hail mary to the corner of the end zone that you don't allow them to hit. That that play shouldn't hit. The odds of it hitting are very small. But if you have bad technique and bad eyes and all the stuff that we've heard about this Boise State defense goes to hell in a handbasket in a hurry and now we are all sitting here talking about a three and four football team with questions of what is Andy Avalos's future and yeah. in, in all this stuff I don't want to be talking about this I know fans don't want to be talking about this but it, we are in the position where that is what we have to talk about and again if it was some other program if it's Utah State we're not sitting here being like ah oh, we're three and four we're thinking like, okay we're three and four we got this left we can get to a bowl game yeah yay but this is Boise State and you're three and four and you're like this is the worst season in the history of the program which it's not but in the FBS era it's getting there <laughs> we're close yeah yeah it's it's tough but we can always look back right now and still say this we can still achieve our goal our goal is to win a Mountain West championship with with and a bowl game with mm-hmm. class and integrity. So we're there still. If we went out, we still win a Mountain West championship. We still go to a bowl game. You still have a chance to win that. Mm-hmm. So we still are not we're not we're not out of it. We're still there. We just gotta put the pieces together. If Boise State wins out, Colorado State would still have more losses mm-hmm. than than they would in conference play. So that would the, any tiebreaker against the Rams would be irrelevant. And Boise State if they went out would only have one loss. Mm-hmm. which means they would also have wins over Fresno State and Air Force and any other team contending for the conference title. Exactly. So technically, if Boise State did find a way to win out, they would actually host the Mountain West Conference Championship and still have a chance, if they did that, to win 10 games this season. Well, guess- the likelihood of it happening, I think it's less than a Hail Mary against Colorado State, apparently. Well, you know what? This isn't our first time seeing something like this. Yeah. You know? I mean, it happened last year. It happened in 14. I mean, it happens. If they were to go on a on the on a run, though, I am still of the mind that they got to figure out what they want to do at quarterback because I I just I don't love the two quarterback system, and in each of the last two weeks, Taylor Green we've been told would be the starter and the focal point of the offense, and in each of the last two weeks, Maddox Madsen has outsnapped him, meaning played more snaps than than Taylor Green, so your focal point of the offense, quote unquote is on the sidelines more often than he is on the field. Mm -hmm. And today, at his press conference, we asked Andy about that. And he explained why it's played out the way that it has. Take a listen. Yeah, I mean, given the game before where we were behind, you know, no different than the previous week uh, where we were behind and, and Maddox came in and led us down the field in two drives. I mean, he's been efficient at doing that just happened in those two games because he went in the game. I mean, it's what he's done in practice. And now TG um, has those capabilities too, but Mad Dog's been more efficient with it. And so did I foresee Mad Dog playing more in the last two games? Not entirely, but again, um, the game's going to work out that way. It's no different on defense. There's certain personnel because of what the offense is doing that a guy that's a part of one package might play more because the offense is giving us more than that. You know, last week we got a lot more um, zero-one personnel, so no tailback, one tight end in the game um, than they had shown. So there were certain guys in the game more than what was probably anticipated. So you have the game kind of dictating, I guess, which quarterback is getting the most playing time, not necessarily Boise State dictating which quarterback is getting the most playing time. Uh, That's concern number one for me. But I guess concern number two is, I mean, Andy Avalos just said it. When it comes to... Who's playing better? There were some things operationally that Maddox Madsen was handling better. We've said it all year. Like, we understand that one does something better than the other. But for me, it just, I feel like at the end of the game, when you know you have to run the ball, why is your running quarterback not taking snaps? Mm -hmm. It just, I don't feel like we're putting the kids in the best in the best situation as far as to be successful because there's no way Taylor Green's not taking every snap with a minute and a half left to go when the defense is going to bring everyone. You know they're going to blitz. Mm-hmm. You know, So we have an option to go the other way. Let me ask you this. How hard is it to get one quarterback ready for game day, let alone getting two quarterbacks ready for game day? 
Well, I'm going to say it's definitely harder to do two because uh-huh. once again, they have totally different game plans. They have totally different things going on. There's only so much time that you can require a kid to spend in that building. Mm-hmm. So now you're probably asking him to go beyond those limits. Yep. Um, there are only so many snaps that you can divvy up at practice. You can't just be like, two quarterbacks? Okay, practice twice as long, everybody. Can't do that. We also got to remember at the end of the day, the way they throw the ball is different, right? The way they're – how hard they throw, you know, the type of throws they make. Mm-hmm. Everything's different. It changes. So even for the receivers, play to play, you might be used to catching the ball from Maddox all week, and mm-hmm. then Taylor's the one in running that play. You just don't know. It's just so many uncontrolled variables in that which makes it tough when you add more things to the pot. I think after the San Jose State game, we could all go, hey, it kind of worked. Because even though it didn't feel like fluid, like we go, hey, it kind of worked. Because they, they came back, and in the second half, it did work. But are we going to deal with just these crazy ebbs and flows while we deal with it? And like sometimes it's going to be in rhythm, and sometimes it's not going to be in rhythm. And against Colorado State, the passing game was not in rhythm. What concerns me the most out of it all, Colorado State is awful on defense. They're, I mean, like that's – Look at the numbers. Mm-hmm. Even after the Boise State game, which they had a pretty good d- day in terms of the, their pass defense, Colorado State ranks 125th out of 133 teams in the FBS in pass defense, allowing over 300 yards through the air per game. Boise State's QBs combined to go 15 of 24 for 138 yards. I mean, in terms of yards per attempt, that's nothing. Mm-hmm. Zero touchdowns, two interceptions, a quarterback efficiency rating of 94.1, which is the lowest Colorado State has allowed this season. And half of those came from Gentry. Half of those yards, the 130, probably came from Gentry, and those are swing routes and Some little check down. screens. And, well, yeah. I can tell you who they didn't come from. Uh, a guy that entered the this week as the best receiver in the Mountain West, at least in terms of receiving yards, going into that game, Eric McAllister, 596 receiving yards, the most in the Mountain West Conference. He leaves that Colorado State game with two catches for 32 yards on five targets. And 22 of those yards, by the way, one of his catches went for 22 yards, is on a play where Colorado State jumped off sides, and Maddox Madsen says, well, time to take a shot. Mm-hmm. So th- you're telling me in, in the rhythm of your offense – you were getting Eric McAllister four targets and one catch for, what was it, 10 yards? Yeah, and we saw they took a few shots at him trying to get it to him. They were just missing, mm-hmm. obviously. But that goes back to what we talked about because all year we watched Taylor throw the deep ball to him, and mm-hmm. they just have a great connection. Mm-hmm. And then you have on the flip side, when Maddox, does, it's different. So, you know, we aren't hitting them as much as we do when Taylor throws it. That's the, actually the one of the one balls that we know Taylor can throw is the deep ball yep. to McAllister. It's, it's, it, that and anything outside the hashes, mm-hmm. it's what he's most comfortable doing. Rolling out, yeah. things outside, passes outside the hashes, clearly what he's most comfortable doing. I guess just my, my point with that is Andy has said in the past, he's, he's talked about how this is a personnel-driven team. you got to play to your talents, all this stuff. Well, Eric McAllister is unbelievably talented, and he leaves – that game with four targets within the rhythm of the offense. You know how many targets Torrey Horton had? My guess is going to be 11. He had 10 catches, oh. 21 targets. Oh, my God. And now a lot of those Jeez. a lot of those came in the fourth quarter when yeah. when they're hucking and chucking. It's crunch time. You know? But 21 targets for the, for the guy that was the only guy – well, he's the second-best receiver in the Mountain West in terms of receiving yards mm-hmm. going into that game, trailing That's... Eric McAllister. One gets four targets in the rhythm of the offense. The other one gets 21. I, it, it, it's just, I think when you're rotating your quarterback around so often, I, I just, I think that it's got to make it difficult because I would assume that at times, you know, whether it be Grant Hedrick or Brett Rippon or anybody that you played with, we're like, man, haven't thrown the ball at Shane in a minute. Probably got, I probably got to get him a touch right now or something like that. Like, Easy, quick throw. There, there's got, there's, there's got to be some type of like, you know, uh, you know, instinct that's telling you that, that's screaming yeah. that to you when you, you know, you haven't involved your leading receiver yet. But when you're just coming in and out of the field so much and you're kind of on the field, like, okay, what's yeah. their personnel? I got this. Okay. Okay. 20 seconds on the play clock. What are we doing? We're going to do that. Okay. Check, check. You know, what I mean? like, yeah. It's got to be moving so fast. You don't even have time to think about stuff like that. I think, uh, play calling wise is where we missed that. I feel like we didn't get him involved enough. But and it, everything's gonna be skewed because obviously you run for two hundred and freaking twelve yards mm-hmm. or whatever he uh, Gentry had. If you run for that much, you're not gonna even you know be dialing it up a little mm-hmm. bit in the pass game. You're gonna just keep running down their throat. Right. Well, either way, what is the plan moving forward at quarterback today? 
We asked Andy Avalos, and I would say that it's still pretty undecided. You know I'm not going to give a competitive advantage answer on something like that. But we love, we love what TG has done. And when he continues to do again, he made a, an extremely impressive play at the end of that game that unfortunately got called back for a penalty. So we'll have to wait and see. If I, <laughs> if I, if I was going to guess, it's probably going to be more of the same. And they're just going to hope that the flow of the game allows, quote-unquote, the focal point of their offense, which I still think is going to be Taylor Green, to be on the field more often than what is the backup quarterback. I, I just I still don't love what a defense or the game situation can dictate so drastically what you're doing versus what you what you have to do versus what you want to do. Mm-hmm. I, I just I, but I'm not a coach, and I and I did not play Division One football. But that's that just I, I just feel like you should be forcing a, opponents to adjust to you more so than the other way around, and it just. It feels like it's flipped. It feels like yeah. they're, you know you're trying not you're trying. Maybe this is the wrong way to say it, but it, I think it kind of applies. You're trying not to lose a game versus yeah. going out and I'm gonna, I'm going to win this freaking thing, you know. And I, I think that right now that they're kind of stuck in the what can we do to manage this thing enough yep. to put ourselves in a position to win instead of just going out playing freely and we're on attack mode. And it's hard to play free when everything's just so up in the air. Mm-hmm. Like you never know when you're going in. You never know when your number's getting called. It's kind of like. It's just tough How much, at the quarterback position. That's tough. Uh, one more question, and then we're going to move on because we got we still have so much more to get to. Ashton Genty, the defense, and in, in the future. Um, but one more question about quarterback, and that is it really applies to anything. But how much time do you actually get for personal development within a season? It's not a ton because you got to get ready for they, a game. They practice obviously in the morning. You yeah, know, ten a.m. They get out. They go to they eat. And then they go to class for like five hours. And then they probably come back at like 6 p.m. And you're going to watch practice from mm-hmm. that day. Well, from 6 p.m. to 7, you do that. But then you might have a night class. So you might only have an hour to be, actually be in there. And then obviously you haven't gotten home. You have to go eat. You have to do homework. You have all these things. So there's not a lot of time in the day for you to actually be in there and live in there. I mean, unless you don't have class that day, mm-hmm. you can be in there. But your coach is probably not available because he's in meetings with the other coaches and they're yep. game planning and they're doing all it's it's right now is not the time where you grow as much from you know as far as that aspect and, goes it's more of getting the reps and growing from that and, and the, if the, you aren't getting reps then it's kind of hard to right grow. the reason why i asked that is just because um i mean i think it's fair to say Taylor hasn't developed as everybody kind of thought that he would this year and I'm not saying Talon's perfect, but I also think that I, I, I don't know if the answer is to take away from, you know, his snap count and things like that. Just because he's on his third offense coordinator in 13 months, you've now put him in a dual quarterback system. And it just I know that they're doing whatever they have to do to win games. And Andy Avalos even said that today, you know, big picture, not not about the quarterback, just big picture like. We are making the decisions we have to make right now for the betterment of this football team to try to win a football game. And so I guess that's that maybe that's what needs to be emphasized and what fans want because they want to win football games. And we're not making such a big deal out of the quarterback situation if they do win that football game against Colorado State. But I, I just I worry about his development because I just it none it just hasn't been what you would you would want to script out for it you know like one offensive coordinator you learn you grow it's your job we'll figure out we'll fix the mistakes and we continue to move forward and it's just it's herky jerky and voices here and voices there and less snaps here and more snaps there and it's not completely smooth uh I will remind you that it is it is a process with these kids it's not going to be a Kellen Moore scenario where you're really good as a freshman or you're good as a freshman you're really good as sophomore you're great as a junior and you're unbelievable as a senior like this natural progression just to be this Mm -hmm. all-world quarterback even brett rippon good as a freshman really good as a sophomore he took a step back his junior year before he bounced back with a really really good senior year right Mm -hmm. and so this is maybe this is just what Taylor's having to deal with right now as teams adjust to him he's got to figure out a way to fight back and and be a better quarterback i i don't know I just I do worry about the rhythm of his his development though. Yeah, eight attempts a game is very hard to to kind of it's, it's and that's tough. what it's been each that's each it. of the last two games. We can talk about snap counts seventy two for 
Uh, Maddox Madsen, 66 total for Taylor Green these last two games. And again, Maddox holds a slight edge game to game. When it comes to pass attempts, 16 a game, or exactly for uh, Maddox over these last two games, 32 total, 16 total for Taylor Green in eight in each of the last two games. I just, I don't, I, I don't love it, but they're going to do what they can to get through this, and, and we'll see how it works out moving forward. We'll stay on offense, but moving to something that can we just talk about something positive that nobody can argue about for right now? Ashton Genty is an All American, and I'm not even making it up now because uh, the AP, ESPN, and CBS Sports all have Ashton Genty on their midseason All-American team. We have asked a number of times and even stated that he's the best running back in the country. We now have our validation, Shane Williams-Rhodes. Um, I think I need to go just put my whole house on a bet, man. I think <laughs> that that Doak Walker award, man, it's coming. Mm-hmm. He is the best back in the country. Let's, uh, let's lay it all out here because he leads all of college football in touches. Uh, he leads all of college football in yards from scrimmage. Uh, total touchdowns, leads college football. It would be a uh, just absolutely devastating, a travesty, if he's not offensive player in the year in the Mountain West. Oh, yeah. He has 1,264 yards from scrimmage. That is 574 more than anyone else in the Mountain West Conference this season. So uh, if the record prevents him from getting that, that would just be horrible, and it would be really, really sad. But he's, he's I, I think you can call him the best back in college football right now because I don't think that there is anyone that uh, – is doing what he, well there's not anybody that's doing what he does i know that guys at bigger schools get less carries and things like that but mm-hmm. there is nobody that is putting up these types of numbers oh uh plays of 10 or more yards he has 36 the most in the country he had seven rushes of of 10 or more yards against colorado state alone colorado state for the season has nine of those for the entire season ashton Genthy had seven in four quarters uh if you uh, he's been great in the passing game but now in the rushing game is where most of his production is coming from second in the country in rushing yards He's closing in on 1,000. He has 868 right now. He's gone over 200 yards on the ground twice this year, had 205 against San Diego State, a career-high 212 against Colorado State. Yards after contact, guys, a monster, 607 of them. First in college football, missed tackles forced, 51. This is where he's really fallen off, only second in all of college football in missed tackles forced. So when it it comes to this, I just – his numbers speak for itself – um, he is a guy that not a lot of people offered out of college or out of high school. Uh, Andy Avalos, Keith Bonifa, who was the running backs coach at the time, they went down to Texas and they found this kid that had moved not long ago from Florida and they got him to come to Boise State and they have turned him in or helped turn him into what he is has become today. James Montgomery influencing his development as well. It's um, I just can't say enough about what he's been able to do. And I said this, I mean, it's kind of a joke, but it's not. I know that Boise State's three and four right now, and typically you don't launch Heisman Trophy campaigns for three and four football teams. But I want Ashton Genty to know that he is the face of my program. I want Ashton Genty to know that the school loves him, this entire town loves him, and the state should love him. And because of it, I launch his 2023 Heisman campaign this week, along with his 2024 Heisman campaign in Boise State colors this week. There it is. And I, I I, I just show him... As much love and as much attention as I possibly can and hope that that means that he still wants to remain a Bronco. I hate when fans on social media, they they jump to conclusions and they say that he's gone. Um, But at the same time, Boise State internally better be figuring out one hell of a plan to keep this dude because as we've seen, he can put an entire team – program, school, city, state, whatever, on his back and, ha- and and do it almost effortlessly, it seems. 31 carries last week, and he it didn't look like he lost a step at all throughout any of them. Nope, and I think you're totally right. You know, uh, after the season, we're either going to see it's one or two ways it's going to go. He's either going to be, you know, pissed off how the season went and want to come back, you know, with his guys and they want to go, you know, make up for what how this season has been. Or, you know, he's going to get a great opportunity to go somewhere else and make some money before he goes to the pros. And it's hard to cannot fault him for that either. It, I'm, I'm worried it's going to get to a point, Shane, where – and it probably already will or it has. I don't know. In today's college football world, the decision could make the decision for you. Like I mean, like the, what is presented to you, it just might make the decision for you. 
Yeah. The good news is, is that he knows he's going to come back here. He knows he's going to get a billion touches or as many as he wants. And um, he'll be the face of the program. And on top of that, you know, I mean, he'll he'll be the number one name in town. Uh, but there's just a chance that you can make a lot of money and be that. He could play at Bama. Well, I, I, again, I, I don't want to go too far with, like, speculating because, I again, I, it, it grinds my gears. Fans that do it, I'm like, dude, you guys should all be – Figuring out a way to contribute to that collective specifically for Ashton. I don't Gen think it's going to be Bama. You know, I, I think the one that's going to get him is. I think if he if he goes somewhere, I think Texas might be the one. Texas, that he's All from they, Texas. They can, he, he played high school ball in Texas. He also grew up in Florida. So those are two programs that, if you are from those regions, they are. I mean, the number the one almighty. running back, the running, best running back that came out this year came out of Texas. So mm-hmm. it'll be a real easy sell for them. And they are the number one revenue school in college football right now. Mm-hmm. So, well, for the last 10 years. Yeah. So it's really easy. Would, would B. John Robinson get a Lambo last year to be the running yeah. back in Texas? And a F-250, you know. So it's kind of easy for them, you know, to say, hey, come home. Mm-hmm. On top of coming home, we obviously know what we're doing with running backs. You know, we are currently top 10 in the country. All these things, right? Texas is on top right now. So it's going to be a really tough sale. Uh, be be proactive, Bronco Nation, if you love this guy. You know, there was somebody that, um, gosh, I'm blanking on who tweeted this at me this, this week. And I'm sorry. I apologize for forgetting. But um, there's they were showing me this thing about Trey Turner, who was the shortstop for the Philadelphia Phillies. Massive free agent signing this offseason. But his season was not going well. He was getting booed left and right. And all of a sudden, the fans kind of rallied together through social media posts and they said, you know what, we're going to give him a standing ovation tonight. And he, like, his season flipped on a dime. And now he's – they're about to go to the World Series. He's been a huge part of their team in the elimination game. You know, in the divisional series, he goes four for four. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the fan was like, maybe we just, we just do this with Boise State and Andy Avalos and any of these kids that are struggling. Well, I, I would also do it with – you know, you know how we have like blue outs and orange outs and black outs and all these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's time to do an Ashton Genty out for sure. You know what I mean? Like, have I don't know how they pull that off. Put his put his put his face on a shirt. Put his face. Put his name. His number. I don't know what it is, but there are ways to do yeah. it now. It's time to have an Ashton Genty out. Yes, I think <laughs> it's for sure time. We need that. Support him. See if he, if you guys can show him enough love to say. I know we're getting close to the end of this thing. Um, as it, I want to flip it over to defense really quick, and I teased Marco Notriani a little bit earlier. After the game last night, or on a Saturday, excuse me, one of the more emotional press conferences I've ever mm-hmm. seen, a kid moved to tears, and you can tell he's feeling the weight of the world of this city following a loss. I mean, I mean we always talk about how it's all about us, and it is. And it's tough looking some of these guys in the eye knowing – that we didn't do as much as we could. And um, it's tough heading back to Bronco Nation like that too. I know it's a community that cares a lot about this team and we care a lot about the community. And behind closed doors, I know we put a lot of work in and we're intentional, we care about each other and it's just frustrating. I mean, all I can say is sorry. I feel bad for the guys that didn't play tonight. I feel bad for Bronco Nation. I feel bad for the families that traveled out here. And all we can do is just move on. Next week we'll self-scout. We'll get it figured out. We care about each other a lot and we'll get it figured out. You did experience this in your time here. What is it like as a Boise State football player to feel the disappointment of the city? It sucks. It really sucks. And I, I can remember back mine. I think it was a BYU game. We had to do an interview, and they just pumbled us. And I I was interviewing you after that game. Or I actually, remember. it might have been the Hail Mary game. There was definitely the one. Oh, it was. It was Hail the Hail Mary, Mary game. game. Yep. At BYU, you know, we kind of lost in the same fashion, which sucks. You know, yeah. second or third string quarterback, but it happens. But yeah, it's just tough. And I actually watched that interview live too. It was, it was, it was tough to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, he. It's not a spot you want to be in ever. In. Obviously, these kids—they're only 19 years old, and they—they they carry a lot, you know. Obviously, to them, I mean, to everyone else, you know, it's—it's it's Boise State football, but to them, it's not just a game; it's—it's it's just more. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a life. I, as I was watching that, I thought the number one th- thing that this team has to do this this bye week, as crazy as it sounds, it's not fixing 
their pass defense. It's not deciding who the quarterback is. Um, it's not deciding what Andy Avalos' future is. The number one sense of urgency thing for this program at this point in time, it is trying to make football fun. Because the, the weight of the world is obviously on these kids' shoulders. And we all, if you play tight, that's going to be a, a terrible thing. Mm -hmm. If you don't enjoy going to the football facility, you're not going to get the most out of it every day. So as crazy as it sounds, True. I think the number one thing that can get this, the, the ball rolling in the right direction is you still have to find a way to make this thing fun for these kids so that they can enjoy football, the game that they love, the why they commit their lives to it, and then you can figure out what you need to from there. But that is something that after that, that crushing loss at Colorado State is, is priority number one, I would think. Yeah, I for sure agree with that. Because if you don't want to be in that facility, then that that will now turn into, okay, well, I'm not going to go get the extra film. I'm not mm -hmm. going to do this because I don't want to be in there around what's going on. We talk about all the small things that they have to do better. Mm -hmm. This is so, how you find those small things. That's for sure. The other thing that I would say is just stay together because <laughs> I've been there in the rough times. And so I get it. You, but you have to stay together. If the guys don't stay together and – People start and it starts falling apart. You will see so many mm -hmm. transfer portal kids, mm -hmm. and that's the reality of college football. That's why these last five six weeks are so so critical. Shane, as always, we appreciate it. I know I ask you to make predictions every week on the show as it pertains to a game, but right now, <laughs> does Boise State get to a bowl game? Do they find a way to win three of their last five games at the very very least and get to a bowl game? Yeah, we win three out of five. Okay. Well, there you go. We'll see if they can pull it off. Uh, Shane, as always, I appreciate it. This is Jay Sports Bar serving the Idaho sports community. I'm going to send you away today with Andy Avalos. One more soundbite from him and what he feels about the state of his program. Thanks for listening, everyone. Through the beginning of the week, we got a chance to really sit down and focus. This bye week comes at a, at a good time where we can push pause and focus on ourselves, focus on our team, really look at what the realities are, um, which is, you know, our record isn't where we want it to be. It's not the standard. You know, I know that more than anybody. Um, but the reality is, is uh, we're six points off from being six and one. So now it's time to find that. Where is that gap from those six points? We've played with the fourth youngest personnel in the nation in college football this year, but we're not young anymore. These guys got tremendous experience. You know, it was awesome to be able to be out there. Um, with these guys these last couple days, we just left the practice field, and that's one of the most competitive, energetic practices that we've had um, since we've been here.